This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, September 19th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Porsche looks to go zero to 75 billion with its IPO. Stellantis' CEO says Detroit's pared down auto show is a good thing, actually. Plus, Ford and Hyundai chip away at Tesla's big EV lead. And there was another big auto-related show in Metro Detroit last week. We're here from reporter John Irwin about what he saw at the Battery Show in Novi, Michigan. If you didn't think that the era of electrification was already on the way, uh, you showed up there, you'd be completely convinced at that point, I think. (laughs) Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Volkswagen Group is targeting a valuation of up to $75 billion for luxury sports car maker Porsche. That's below an earlier top-end goal of as much as $85 billion, with the deal going ahead at a time of deep market upheaval. VW Group will price preferred shares of Porsche AG between 76 and almost 83 euros per share, which translates to a valuation of 70 billion to 75 billion euros or dollars. According to Refinitiv Data, the upper end of that range would make it Europe's third largest IPO on record. VW Group says proceeds from the IPO will help the automaker with financing its EV transition and investments in software. The subscription period for private and institutional investors is expected to start tomorrow and run until September 28th. VW says trading will begin on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange the next day. Traffic deaths are down for the first time in almost two years. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says fatalities on roadways were down almost 5% in the second quarter compared with the same time last year. That's even as Americans are driving more. Deaths have been increasing since the third quarter of 2020. NHTSA's acting administrator Ann Carlson says traffic fatalities still remain a crisis. Nearly 11,000 people died in car crashes from April through June. Battle-hardened automotive reporters aren't the only ones who saw frugality on display at this year's Detroit Auto Show. Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares agrees that the event lacked the glitz and excitement of previous years, but he doesn't view that as a negative. Tavares says automakers are doing what they can to get their best return on their investments. He thinks the savings from the toned-down atmosphere could result in brands returning to future shows, making the event more sustainable in the long run. Tavares says an auto show should be centered on consumers instead of brash and exorbitant marketing stunts. And legacy auto companies are chipping away at Tesla's formidable early lead in electric vehicles. They're introducing new models and ramping up EV production. New registrations of full electric vehicles in the U.S. surged among non-Tesla brands in the first seven months of the year. According to data from Experian, legacy automakers and other startups posted 56% EV growth through July, with almost 135,000 registrations among 22 brands for a combined 34% segment share. Overall, EV registrations climbed 55% year over year. 
And those are today's headlines. Jamie, legacy companies are somewhat chipping away at Tesla's lead in the EV space. Is slow and steady the realistic way to overcome this beast? Perhaps, perhaps. Tesla's still growing very rapidly. They're still ramping up their factory in Austin, which is their second auto assembly plant in North America. So we'll see if maybe Tesla's growth rate slows a bit over the next year for the incumbents. They were making good gains, really growing you know, about as fast as Tesla, even a little bit faster. But what's going to be interesting to watch through the rest of the year was that you know these numbers we're talking about are through July. In mid-August, President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act, which ended federal taxpayer support for all vehicles made outside North America. That's crucial for companies like the Hyundai Motor Group with their Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis brands. All of their EVs are made outside of the U.S. so far. It'll be really interesting to see how that affects their growth rate going forward. Well, all those EVs are going to need batteries no matter who makes them. Coming up, we'll get a look at what happened at last week's battery show in Novi, Michigan, and what it tells us about the future of electrification. That's next on Daily Drive. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene, and you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish-language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Even with a pared-down feel, the Detroit Auto Show got most of the attention in the U.S. auto industry last week. There were still some big reveals and plenty of chatter about President Joe Biden's visit. But just 30 miles northwest, another event was quietly offering some huge insights into the future of the auto industry. The Battery Show brought together thousands of executives, engineers, salespeople, and journalists to discuss how the EVs of the future will be powered. John Irwin covers suppliers and electric vehicles for Automotive News. He got a look at the Battery Show last week and wrote about it on autonews.com. We talked about what he saw and the big question marks that remain for battery technology in cars going forward. Here's our conversation. John Irwin, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me, Jamie. You were at the battery show in Novi last week. What did you see? A lot of people, first of all. Uh, it was a huge <laughs> event. They only rode into the convention center up there. I was backed up. It was almost late to a couple things I was supposed to be at just because we were so backed up there. There were parking people on dirt roads, you know, 10 minute walk away. It was 
pretty striking uh, just seeing how many people were there, how many companies were there. The show floor was packed with mm. all sorts of startups, established suppliers, different tech companies that are all working in the battery space. If you didn't think that the era of electrification was already on the way, uh, if you showed up there, you'd be completely convinced at that point, I think. <laughs> Well, of course, you know, we know uh, and our listeners know that uh, half a trillion dollars is being committed to the electric vehicle industry. But the real problems they have to face are those that were being talked about on the battery show floor, right? It's not about can they design cars and make them. It's battery minerals, it's battery technology, it's charging and recycling and all that. Uh, You wrote a a story kind of tying it all together. It sounded like one of the uh, big themes was the importance of uh, federal support for battery supply chain development, which kind of is kind of the opposite of the direction the industry had been going just left to its own devices. Yeah, it was interesting just hearing, you know, everyone that I spoke with, at least talking about the importance of the federal government sort of being aligned on this, pushing the industry in a specific direction. And the Biden administration uh, back in May, you know, said that it would uh, give more than $3 billion in infrastructure funding uh, to help finance the processing of critical materials uh, in the United States. Obviously, the Inflation Reduction Act, which just recently passed, uh, has its new EV sales credits, uh, which are going to require in the next several years 80% of the battery's critical materials to have been either sourced within the United States or within a country that it has a, a free trade agreement with. Everyone I spoke with said that that was important just to kind of get the ball rolling. The, the money isn't necessarily a ton of money uh, when you consider the amount that's going to need to be spent to build up the <laughs> supply chain, but it gets the ball moving in the right direction. Companies are going to need these materials and fast. Uh, you know, obviously these targets that automakers have set for themselves by 2030, 2035, depending on the automaker, what their goals are. Obviously, California looking to move to ban gas-powered vehicle sales by 2035. They're going to need a lot of these materials, you know, very quickly. You know, one of the panelists that I saw spoke, who's an executive at a Canadian mining company, uh, cited a World Bank report that found that, you know, in the last 5,000 years of civilization, about 550 million metric tons of copper have been consumed by humans. Uh, But we're going to need about that amount consumed in the next 25 years, just to meet not only EVs, but also other green energy projects that are going to get rolling to combat climate change. And obviously EVs play a big part in that. Point of all this is to say, We're going to get a lot of materials really quickly, and we're going to want to source them, and at all possible, you know, within the U.S. or from a partner. Um, So, to have that ball rolling in the same direction from the federal government was important. uh, I was told. Yeah, well, and you know that, as you kind of alluded to, right? There's a lot of competition for those supply chains. Whether you're talking about batteries and the minerals in those, or you know, computer chips, which have sort of a similar similar large uh, and long runway to solve kind of problem. Like you said, it's not just electric vehicles. It's not just the auto industry. It's all the consumer electronics and household appliances and things that are that are also competing for those same things. So yeah, the demand seems like it's really growing exponentially. <laughs> yeah. And then along those lines, the the timing is a real challenge, right? I mean, it takes a long time to build an auto plant or a semiconductor factory, but mining and refining seems like it can take even longer, right? Yeah, it, it's one thing to say, you know, it would be great to build up you know, mining locally in the U.S., but, you know, it can take right now, you know, because of permitting, uh, because of uh, oftentimes uh, 
these companies get wrapped up in court and that sort of thing. It can take up to a decade just to get a mine up and running before you uh, even start extracting anything out of a new mine. You know, that's a process that I kept hearing about. It's something that these companies are, you know, begging for uh, permitting reform of some kind. Whether that means instead of having to go from point A to point B, regulation A to regulation B, getting all that sorted out, maybe doing things concurrently to try to cut down on the amount of time uh, that's spent in the permitting process. That's something that uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, President Biden, signaled that they wanted to pass you know, some sort of comprehensive permitting reform by next month. Uh, they signaled that recently, but details have been scarce. You know, We're not sure if it'll have a lot of support either from Republicans or from a lot of congressional Democrats either. We're worried mm-hmm. it might just serve to boost you know, fossil fuel projects, that sort of thing. So I don't know if anyone's expecting huge comprehensive reform on that front, but just about everyone is saying it's vital if you want to get these, if you want to source more materials from within the U.S., and quickly, you're going to have to figure out a way to get these mines up and running. Uh, well, when you think about like a, an entity like the EPA, right, this is kind of could be a kind of an internal battle. You've got the air people who are like, we need EVs so we can quit burning so much fossil fuel. But you also have, you know, folks trying to look out for water quality. And right. as we know in Michigan and all around the country, I mean, the, having a safe, clean water supply is really important. You that's uh, that is a resource that is uh, somewhat renewable, but you know can be is so necessary for human life, animal life, livestock, agriculture. <laughs> Just uh, so you know, most of those I'm sure most of the bottlenecks and the things that are obstacles to potential miners involve keeping the environment safe. So yeah, it could be a very difficult one for. Uh, the Biden administration and the uh, and Chuck Schumer to to navigate. Yeah, it's for sure. It's going to be interesting to see how they, like you said, kind of thread that needle. Even a lot of the, you know, obviously you have to take it with a grain of salt. They would say things like this, but a lot of the mining companies are saying, you know, they're not looking for, um, you know, the regulations necessarily to be cut back or for being able to be able to cut corners all of a sudden on this sort of thing. It's just a matter of maybe doing things concurrently, um, mm-hmm. if that's possible. Or not, I, I I don't know the ins and outs of you know, mining regulations in the United States. So uh, I'll leave that to somebody else to determine if that's even possible to do. But yeah, uh, the point stands though that, you know, it's, it takes a decade, eight to 10 years to you know, try to get these things up and running. So if we're going to want to source things, you know, more locally, that's something that you're going to have to keep in mind. It's going to be a while before we actually see much more uh, coming out of the U.S. Yeah. So uh, before we run out of time, I want to ask, so what happens when a vehicle runs out of time Uh, at the end of life, right? Vehicles don't last forever. Batteries don't hold their charge as well after whatever number of charge cycles. Is recycling going to be a big part of the industry's future? Yeah, this actually speaks a lot to what we're just talking about. If you want to find a way to boost EV sales long term, but maybe don't want to risk anything that comes from mining impacting water supply or anything like that. One way to do that would be to recycle materials found in an EV battery once it reaches the end of its life cycle. In theory, you could create sort of a circular supply chain there when it comes to putting materials from old batteries into new ones. You wouldn't have to mine anything necessarily out of the earth, in theory at least, uh, in order to do that. Obviously, uh, it's going to take a while to get to that point, just considering that there aren't very many used EVs on the road today. EV sales still aren't a massive portion of the, the new vehicle sales market, let alone, you know, eight to 10 years ago, you know, that number was incredibly small. So recycling uh, right now, probably not a huge market, but in the long run, 
uh, that might be critical just in terms of creating a very sustainable model uh, for electrification. We're able to get these materials from you know, these old batteries, able to source them you know, just from vehicles on the road today instead of having to take them out of the earth, process them, and have that whole process take place. Yeah, it might take 10 or 20 years for it to be a significant, but we know the EVs that are made today and that are made 10 years from now are going to uh, be used up. And why not be able to turn those materials right back around? So it's a long, long developing process, but it seems like a really interesting one. Yeah. John Irwin is a reporter covering suppliers and technology for Automotive News. Thanks for joining me on Daily Drive again, my friend. Thanks for having me, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on battery technology, Porsche's IPO, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Bloomberg News Detroit Bureau Chief David Welch about his new book, Out Tomorrow, titled Charging Ahead, GM, Mary Barra, and the Reinvention of an American Icon. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.